Hey everyone, welcome to We Might Be Tables. I'm Devansh. And this is Shresh. Um, what are we talking about today? <laughs> um, shall I forget the name of the table? It's right, Death and Love, The Metaphysics of Communication by Christian Fuchs. Um, it's a, it's a sort of 25 page essay and it's, a, it's part of a much larger book called uh, Communication and Capitalism. Uh, also by Christian Fuchs, obviously, which I think talks about how Marxist ideas can be applied particularly to communication and, um, uh, well, not just communication, but also death, obviously, from the title, uh, how they, those ideas can be applied in the 21st century. Um, it's like a treatise on, uh, the way I understand it, it's like a treatise on why death is an extremely humanist problem and why Marxism and other social philosophies can't really ignore it. So yeah, it's it's a very big, um, very voluminous paper. I actually finished reading it like five minutes before we began this recording. So I'm really <laughs> overwhelmed, like I'm fucking overwhelmed because it's there's so much that it just hits you with and it's great. I love it. Yeah, it seems pretty like interesting um, given like some of the like uh, positions it presents and like you said it's like the perspective of death and communication is specifically from like the Marxist perspective and that was interesting to like have um, to, to view death that which we'll eventually come to obviously as like explaining death in uh, the, the metaphysics of death in, in, in like Marxist like theory and terms and and in, and in a way that that complements um, like a, a Marxist framework, so that was pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. This is actually a, <clears throat> um, I wouldn't say a follow-up, but sort of the continuation of the theme that we began with uh, afterlife, where we want to talk about ideas of death and how they apply in in philosophy. And you know, these topics that this paper addresses are particularly interesting to me because I'm actually studying. Um, critical theory as a course in college right now. Uh, the, the book that Fuchs wrote is actually called Communication Capitalism, a Critical Theory. So I'm studying a course called Critical Theory at college and um, I took a course on communication and communication theory last semester. So um, so there's that. And I also know that both you and I are you know, studying pretty dedicated metaphysics texts simultaneously, which I think is one of the primary reasons for our uh, choosing to read this particular piece. And obviously we wanted to talk about death again. So um, I, I also want to say that, you know, following from that, it's, it's, I think it's evident that both of our reading of this paper is not um, particularly in the context of the entire book. Yeah. We're just reading this one chapter of the book. And obviously I hope to get to it sometime, like reading the entire book, but we just want to make it clear that it's pretty removed from the context of the entire book. So we're just discussing the ideas presented in this particular paper. Exactly, and even if, like, it, it's it, it's entirely possible that um, some of what we make of the arguments and and the interpretations might not just just might not make sense in the context of the paper. But it's it's still interesting to look at 
I think the perspective it does present, um, even if it's in like an abstracted sense, and and look at some of the presented views um, on, on death, um, and and eventually on on mourning and and love too. So the paper itself is in six parts, right? So I think we'll do three parts first and three parts later, and we'll sort of lay out that what we're talking about at that particular time is part one, two, and three, and we can even um, link the particular timestamp in the description so it's easier for listeners to figure out where exactly we are. Because like I said, it's a pretty voluminous paper and to break it down entirely is going to take some time and effort. So that's how it's going to go uh, by part. And obviously, if, if you want to read the paper, then you would, I guess, understand where exactly we're coming from and what we're talking about. So, yeah, and I just want to put it out there that, you know, critical theory is, it's brilliant, like as a subject, as a, as a field of study, it's amazing. And I don't think I've really been as intellectually stimulated by pretty much anything as I have with, with critical theory. So it's going to be a really, really good conversation. Do you want to tell us more about what it is? Oh, it's, um, you know, obviously I'm not claiming to be an expert. Like I've done one, um, course it, it's it's one course in my undergrad second undergraduate year so from my experience it's uh it's a social philosophy that 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 focuses on marxist ideas like it builds on marxist ideas but it's sort of neo-marxist because um after the rise of capitalism or, or actually concurrently with the rise of capitalism marx present uh, um predicted that there would be revolution right revolution of the lower classes over the upper classes and, and it would eventually lead to a socialist state, but that did not happen. So what critical theorists did was um, set up this field of academia that uh, tried to initially sort of diagnose why that was the case, like what were the reasons for Marx not being able to predict that, um, or rather, what, what were the reasons for Marx going wrong in his prediction when every other prediction that he's ever made came true? So that's one. And secondly, they also came up with some original ideas and thoughts about why society functions the way it does. So for example, the propaganda model, um, ideas of consumerism, um, all of this kind of stuff that we typically hear about is a very critical theory lens. That's 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 interesting. I, I think... Um... I'd want to, I want to learn more. It, it'd be fun to like, I, I was going to say dip my toes, but I'd, I'd probably have to do much more than just dip my toes <laughs> to understand yeah. critical theory. I mean, but, I've just begun dipping my toes and there's, it's, it's a, it's a gold mine of information. That's fantastic. Part one, introduction. Since death is the eternal darkness, nothing that confronts humans and is the cause of mourning, to simply pitch life against death is little consolation. The only hopeful counterpart to death is love as the principle of human sympathy and as the social principle of socialism. I think, you know, this line from the paper is pretty interesting because to pit death and love as, as, as counterparts rather than um, death and life as we've done for so long is... Um, it's great because I think I agree with Fuchs that at least from a socialist or a Marxist lens, you can't really see life and death as as complementary. It would have to be love and death because 
essentially what this paper builds towards and and as we look at you know ideas of alienation and estrangement and stuff later on is that a socialist society would be built on love right and so love would then be um hmm you know it's interesting because i didn't i didn't completely like understand the meaning of this like i i didn't understand like or at least i struggled with viewing death as a counterpart to love um just as i viewed like death as a counterpart to like life because they seem more like opposites rather than counterparts and even like even with love um like you there's it it doesn't seem complimentary right it seems like love or, or death rather is the end of love or or even the end of experiencing love or even if we whenever we get into the technicalities of what death means right right but yeah which is why i struggle with this no, no. like yeah i think i know what you mean like it's it's easy to think that um death and life would be counterparts and love would be a part of life mm-hmm. right um but i think from from what this paper is trying to present it's that when you're living in a socialist society or when a socialist society um is the norm uh death would be the ultimate alienation and estrangement so not to feel the effects of alienation and estrangement which are both negatives the only antidote would be love which which is essentially um congruent with life because if you're living in a socialist society life is not made up of these individual fragmented segments but rather it's it's made up of community and communal experience and communication hmm i mean that's how i i see it right no i mean yeah i i see that yeah so so right right i think i i think i understand maybe it 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 would be interesting to like come back to this when we um like talk about like alienation and and uh, estrangement specifically Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. I mean, this is just the introduction. Like he he builds on it a lot more, you know, later on in parts two and three and four, five and six. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, the, the whole the whole chapter is built on like like drawing out this connection, which is, um, which which is fascinating. And yeah. yeah, I think it's also like like interesting to think about like focus specifically like throughout the paper, which is like also evident from like the introduction, is the the focus on like class struggle. the importance or the significance of caste struggle class sorry struggle being significant even understand like it in understanding death uh, and and i think the line says um and uh, this is in a reference to um religion that marx says that um like ideological and class struggles like struggles focused on pain suffering loss and death are part of the struggles of human kind um and so and so understanding so so class struggles like death is like a part of like a, a one of the struggles of of human kind and this this notion of like death being a struggle is pretty interesting what do you think it is it is definitely you know and and i think that's especially true because um and especially true in in, in the context of class struggles because uh in in marxist philosophy society is built on an economic base 
like the the founding the foundation of society itself is economics so everything else that happens is simply um, building off of that so everything comes back to class and 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 um capitalism and private property and stuff like that so unless we change the foundation like the the base of society nothing we do above it or like he likes to call it the superstructure none of that is going to matter so i think death itself being um a class struggle uh is very very true and and that's even more true as we go deeper into the paper with like funerals and and um profit oriented businesses that that uh, uh conduct funerals and even online funerals and stuff like that you know so it's it is true yeah i think it's true you know i just think that the introduction presents like pretty pretty interesting thoughts on religion as well like mm-hmm. do you i don't know do you do you subscribe in this religious um belief of like the body soul being dualistic body soul dualism or i mean like do you do you think it, the soul lives on in other in another life or something like that i don't mean this in a you know metaphysical kind of substance dualism sense um in which case i don't think it's a duality at all actually but you know purely theologically like would religion be an antidote to to suffering like how how suffering is presented in this paper and if not suffering in the broadest sense would it be an antidote to the grief that we experience when someone dies due to the loss of somebody we love hmm yeah and what what did you i mean of course i'm i'm going to like probably like share my thoughts on what he just like said which was pretty cool but what did you make of the line um that religion is a register of the theoretical struggles of man uh, of mankind humankind but he says mankind i don't i don't know what to make of it though you know because it's yeah. um i think religion goes back far enough in human history for that statement to be true and i think the the kind of struggles we had before organized religion were very very different from the kind of struggles we had after organized religion and it's it's crazy how much influence it has over our lives even if you could be atheist you could be agnostic you could be whatever but it's not really possible to escape the influence of religion right so in some ways it does actually have um it does actually act as a register of 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 the struggles of mankind even even back when the industrial revolution started or back when colonization started it was the church that was the the primary patron of of a lot of these expeditions and or if not the patron at least the one that blessed them and without the church's support uh you wouldn't really be credible at least back then and that credibility only came with the advancement of science yeah no uh, yeah i mean what you said makes like a ton of sense that it's like it it speaks about these these struggles that um like like the, like in the table of contents which is the like pain suffering loss loneliness and death and yeah, yeah it like talks about all of those and it it records those struggles so in a sense that that line like like it makes sense but about what you said earlier about whether religion helps um 
whether it helps cope with the notion of like death being eternal darkness um if if that's the belief like assuming that that's what like death is it's interesting isn't it like i don't know like even even in um religion if if i i subscribe to a certain religion and i believe in a certain religion and 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 the religious principle of uh or, or the religious belief on death in that particular religion is that the person lives on or goes on to heaven or is reborn um i still wonder if that belief is so strong that it can like help with the the sorrow that comes with the imagination of the, the end of everything right like and the reason i have this is because a part of me even if at some point i start believing in religion or in a god and if i start believing that there's heaven after death a part of me will still struggle with the thought that or will still believe that there's the possibility that there's literally nothing is is so strong for me that i don't think even a belief in god can like remove that the pain that comes from that thought you know yeah the thought that it's just i mean there either you either are or you aren't i mean, yeah. I, i don't think that that there's this transcendence to um like a next life or the or the, the, the soul or any of that i mean i'm not a i i don't strictly subscribe to like a dualistic ideology part 2 death love and ontology death on the other hand is the annihilation of being the end of the body spirit consciousness thinking action experience social relations social roles and communication of a given human being like isn't that interesting though to to think about like just so even even in even when like christian like folks writes this it's with this like assumption or not it's it's so wrong to even say assumption but it's this rooted belief that there is literally nothing that death is the end of everything like thinking consciousness spirit like everything but like this kind of like connects to like what we were speaking about earlier about can can a part of you like truly believe like so strongly that there is like life after that i don't know maybe it can you know because i've genuinely met people that that believe that that believe in a previous life and an, and the next life and and the cycle of karma and rebirth and things like that but to me it's just it's very difficult to do that because um like fuk says it's not it's not like death is not just this idea that we have it's not like one idea comes and the next idea comes and we build off both and and form a new idea it's like that is the end of idea itself hmm. you know it's the way we see death right now or the way i see death right now it's definitely not something that can be easily digested but it's not something that um i mean it doesn't make it doesn't make sense when you think of that i don't know how else to put it uh, how does something just stop existing uh in contrast to something existing uh, okay maybe i'm making a mess out of this but my question essentially is why is there anything at all and if there is anything at all then why does it stop existing you know 
You mean like like why does it stop existing like like the if 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 we ascribe to like a dualism about the soul and the mind like why Yeah, why I guess, but exists? also in a general Yeah, yeah, like you said, yeah, definitely, but also in a general sense like later on there's also um these three approaches about death that Fuchs outlines and one of them is um Jean-Paul Sartre and he says that both life and death are meaningless right so i i guess i wonder why there is life and why there is death like if life is there why does it have to end it's very hard to grasp the idea of something existing for no reason and then simply ending for seemingly the same uh abstract reason like you yeah. can't put a pin on why something exists or why something doesn't exist hmm yeah like the absurdity that like satra talks about it's i yeah i think the thing is not not that you said it i think i because we we believe in like some part of this absurdity that that being born and be like dying is is a part of this absurdity that i think that we can't get over this this notion of death being the end of everything right because if 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 we have pre-existing beliefs about god and and meaning of life and and meaning of human existence that it makes sense to have a, a view of death that supports that um that that existing world view because it wouldn't make sense it, it would probably be incongruent to think that there exists a god that had a plan for humanity that created humanity for a certain reason but also created them in such a way that it just like they just stop ending after they die it it feels a little strange but if you like because if there's like a deeper meaning to life um and 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 learning about like mistakes and learning about or or there being a heaven and hell and, and there being like repercussions for good and bad actions there being some significance of karma then all of that makes sense like if if we do believe in all of that like ex- like from before then it makes sense to have the view of life of rather <laughs> view of death um <laughs> that that we could some part of us keeps living yeah yeah exactly i mean it's it's very difficult to come to terms with um a possibility that if there's a purpose to life there is also a purpose to death mm-hmm. like it, it just seems like a very incongruent thing that life would mean so much and death would mean nothing at all or um both of them would mean nothing at all or one would mean something and the other the complete opposite and that's exactly what this paper does is try and uh analyze all three of those arguments i think it it's sort of skewed towards the last one because mm-hmm. of the socialist you know leaning but yeah it's it's really cool and one of the things that i found most interesting about this um uh this particular section is is the communal experience of death like i'm just going to read out a uh, an excerpt if others are there with their solidarity love and friendship then suffering dying death and mourning will di- will not disappear but be ameliorated by shared experience and endured more easily like i wonder what the community significance is of death in most cultures around the world you know i mean death is not is not just an individual thing even though it's it's just one person dying it's a cultural phenomenon but why it's crazy humans can't process things like death it's very difficult for us to comprehend concepts like that because of its impermanence and the fact that like we said just now the fact that some things don't last forever in fact i wouldn't even generalize with um 
you know, I wouldn't even generalize with some things because I'm, uh, I guess I'm referring to relationships and, and our attitude towards relationships. But even when we have relationships in real life with like a friend or, you know, you and I, or maybe your romantic partners, we find it really difficult to let go, even if we know that that person is not dying <laughs> and, and that there's still scope for continued communication, like in the context of this paper. Mm-hmm. It's it's so hard to let go, even if we know from the beginning that the relationship, um, whether it's you know with family, friends, whatever, it wasn't going to be long term. Mm. Like yeah. it seems like a digression, like after the line I've quoted. But um, what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is that Fuchs writes about socialism almost being a religion in itself, like in its ability to alleviate uh, loneliness and things like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and death being like not just like Satan, of essentially. The, death being like Satan. Yeah, like if socialism was the, was the religion, then death would be the devil or the the antithesis to God. You know. Right. Right. Ah, I see. Yeah. Ah. Okay. Yeah. And this this line like earlier too, which is that for others, new things may come out of the death of a person like insights about the shape of their own lives, but death produces nothing new for the concerned party. It destroys their being. And that's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a obvious statement, kind of a, a deal, but it's still so heavy, like, like thinking about that, like, which is why we like struggle with death. It's not, it's such a like emotionally burdening sort of event, sort of an event that we can't view it as, as something like insignificant, you know. I feel, I feel like, like I don't, I don't know how to like put this better, but there's just this, this sort of like such a strong emotional burden or or um, feeling attached to death that talking about it makes it even even talking about it like makes it a little weird, right? Um, like talking about just just dying tomorrow and not having anything to like. Like, I don't know, just just the end of everything. It's still, it's so emotionally heavy for us because we care so much about living. You know, on that note, like, what do you think of um, the death of, I guess, children? Because this paper does say, like, it has uh, views that I don't necessarily subscribe to about the death of children. Like, um, it says that the death of a child is worse than the death of an older person. But I don't know, I don't really agree with that. What do you think? Um, it's interesting. Like, I can, I can see why, um, that, that view exists, right? Like, like seeing, like, it's a pretty, it's, it's sort of like a belief or an argument that we've grown up sort of like thinking about. It's, yeah, it's, we've, we've grown up thinking about it, which is that an older person that has lived their life is going to die. And, and there's perhaps not much that we can do about it because it's just like an accepted like fact of life that you're gonna die at some point and and you've pretty much lived all of it there aren't too many like possibles in the realm of possibles that that you could do even if you were alive right and and even even with that there's this sort of like contentment with what we already have even if there's so many other like possibilities that we could have achieved the the at least the the belief or the feeling that we've 
had the opportunity to do it all our life but we still chose not to or that we chose to do the the things that we did it's sort of like comforting but with the case of a child like like the prospect of death is removing all of those like possibilities and this is like i feel like a distinction is made here cuz like like we're talking about like maybe children and not necessarily like maybe infants or even like fetuses that don't necessarily have like a conscience or a sentience or even like mental capacities to think and envision a future because and the reason i make that distinction is because children clearly have a vision of the future and they clearly have a vision of a dreams and hopes and a realm of possibilities that is truly a possibility that they can actually choose and it's not like they have chosen what they want to do which is why it it seems a little more painful to think about a child dying yeah i don't know man i that's exactly where i'm sort of deviating because i think a lot of children especially when okay when you consider like a, the the sartre or sartrean view that that both life and death are meaningless and absurd it's it's very difficult for me to think that children have some unfulfilled potential or whatever you know um i mean i i do agree that all kinds of death are in some senses emotionally taxing and kind of shitty um but i i think the death of like a young adult or a middle-aged person is actually worse than the death of a child because children often have not even often like most of the time they have these idealistic visions of the future and they don't really know what the real world is like that and they haven't they haven't really been exposed to this to to a feeling of of um existential dread you know like what i'm doing is meaningless or or why we're here is completely meaningless and absurd and they haven't had that the the opportunity to have that awakening and okay maybe i shouldn't call it awakening because that makes it sound like a superior position to have but you know they haven't had that experience and maybe not everybody even in their older ages have that experience but it's it's a, it's definitely a possibility and i'm i'm going to go out on a limb and say that everybody has thought of it at least once in their lives so it's like children dying is a better thing than middle-aged people dying or young adults dying and hmm. i think the older people and children are pretty much the same on the same league when i when it comes to death for me because with older people it's mostly um you know i mean they've lived like a full life or whatever but the 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 worst part is maybe regret of not having lived the way they wanted to but that's about it yeah but i don't think that the death of a child is particularly sad or any of that no yeah i mean i get I get what you're trying to say and I I suppose I'd I'd have to think a lot more about this um yeah. before I can say much more because mm-hmm. it is it makes sense like thinking about what even even if like life is meaningless if we look at like the meaning um specifically not of like the grand scheme of things but specifically in terms of the meaning we give to life um it's um yeah yeah that's a very existential position as well you know what you just said it's it's absurd so you have to make your own meaning of this absurdity yeah hmm. yeah anyway i think um at this point, <laughs> do you want to 
should we uh, sort of lay out these three common views about death that Fuchs, you know, gives yeah, us? Yes, for sure, for sure, yeah. Okay. So the first one, like we said, was Sartre, like both life and death are meaningless. Um, the second one is that death is what gives life meaning. Um, you know, essentially the, the expectation of death is what allows us to live, I guess, fully, which in which he uses the philosophy of Martin Heidegger. And the third one is that life is meaningful and death is meaningless. You know what strange like, no, okay, is... Yeah, no, no, no. I just want to say that I haven't personally read any Sartre, Heidegger, or Nagel, so I can only talk about their philosophy in context of this paper. Yeah, just that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was. Yeah. <laughs> on a related note, like I, I don't necessarily agree with what, like Christian Fuchs says about Sartre and and Heidegger and his like interpretation. If not interpretation, at least like their reading of the meaning of what they're trying to say about death. Like so. So let's look at Sartre first, right? So he says that, um, first he quotes Sartre and he says that it's absurd that we're born and it is, all, and it is absurd that we die. And so, so Fuchs says that Sartre is right that, by saying that death is absurd. But he says that, like, from the absurdity of death, we can't really um, derive the absurdity of life because the meaning of life comes from the possibility of like an individual or a societal or a community-based happiness. And it's it's the happiness that gives that, that makes life not absurd. If if anything in life or if if life itself is absurd, it's probably the life of the person who's unhappy or, or actually the life of unhappiness um, that's brought about by like domination and class struggles and exploitation. And I think that's not like necessarily fair because saying that it's absurd that we're born doesn't necessarily entail that life is absurd, right? Because the absurdity of True. being born... True. Yeah, like, the absurdity of being born is that, like, you don't... You just pop into the world. Like, literally, you just, like, l- like, like flash a light, like, visualizations of whatever we've been, like, we've been seeing for, like, the like last 80 years or whatever. Like, that, yeah. that's literally what happens. You just pop into existence without, like, meaning, purpose, without reason, like, rhyme or reason. That's it. You just... You're just here. And, like... And in fact, I'd, I'd say that like Sartre would deny that life, it, life itself can be absurd because like Sartre's position like or an existential position is that we're condemned to be free. Like we, everything that we do is via our own freedom and, and every action that we choose to do. So even a person who's like happy makes that happiness because they choose that happiness so not really choose but they choose to do the actions that like make it happy so if if we're defining absurdity by like i don't know the quality of happiness it's i don't know it just doesn't make sense like yeah, to me i least. love that though like i've been i've i, I just studied a little bit of Camus recently mm-hmm. and to, from what little i've read of satra um it seems like they have pretty convergent views right so like um i'm sure i'm sure you heard of the myth of sisyphus and those mm-hmm. kinds of books yeah so essentially what you said yeah and i agree you know it doesn't entail, it doesn't entail that life is absurd just because birth or existence is absurd and and death is absurd um so yeah um however like after these after reading these three positions i wonder if there could be number 4 you know i wonder if fuchs is ignoring a, a fourth um a fourth possibility 
which is kind of similar to what you just said like could it could it not be that life is what gives death meaning rather than it being the other way around because the fact that living ends up meaning so much to us even though existence itself is absurd okay maybe i should rephrase even though existence is absurd or birth is absurd the fact that life or living ends up meaning so much to us that death becomes harder to deal with um is the fourth position that i think could be taken you know because like it's very similar to the death the, the second position that death is what gives life meaning but um it, i think it's an interesting thought nonetheless because life could be what gives death meaning like and that that could be exactly why we make such a big deal out of dying yeah that's actually really interesting that'd be fun to like think about like in the context of these like papers and um other theories of that that's that's actually interesting like keep thinking about it please and hopefully write like a yeah. paper on it like in the future or or yeah. even right now but like and even even if we're looking at like like hedegor and the his, like the belief that death gives life meaning i think i agree right like 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 even the notion that so even if like i feel like we can still like we can even connect it to like like the view like an existentialist view right that sure death is absurd being born is absurd but the fact that death exists in all of its like glory and absurdity is still what compels us the thought that it lend one day for whatever reason is what makes us choose the things that we choose that that's a thought that will play out in our head and that will motivate Wait, our action say that again i mean that was some that was some deep shit <laughs> no like so even so even if we we'll, even if we say that like i feel like like the existentialist view complements hedegor and this view that death gives life meaning because even if we accept that death is absurd which i genuinely think it is right there's always that that thought that at the back of your mind that even like death in all its glory and absurdity right is still something that's inevitable it'll still come we don't know why or like for whatever reason it'll come and having that thought at the back of your mind is one of the basis of like why we make the decisions and why we shape our lives the way we do it's still a big consideration in how we choose to like give meaning to to life if if like in, in that like deep like sense or whatever yeah which is yeah, why which, which is why like i didn't really like i don't know find a reason to reject like hedegor but what do you think yeah i agree i mean they're not i don't think they're like exclusive you know they're not mutually exclusive because like you said um the, the absurdity of of life and death are not are not so much related to the non absurdity of life okay maybe uh, maybe I'm, i phrased that wrong <laughs> the absurdity of birth and death are not don't have anything to do with the um meaning of life from what you said i the biggest question i have is how do you define absurd like what is absurdity oh yeah you're actually asking me or is that like a question out in the universe kind of a um both <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough i mean to me at least absurdity is just like like 
like like without any possible explanation like without reason without like it's just it just doesn't make sense like, like it's a just why with a capital w <laughs> yeah or, or actually you know what i'm going to i'm going to go ahead and say like why would like all caps just why why uh, yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that makes sense but like uh, like with with hidegger specifically what do you think when when like fuchs says that accordingly um or to go back a little bit in these instances death is instrumentalized by the rulers death becomes the ideology of death accordingly death is then not a natural fact but a socially created one and compliance with uh, death is compliance with the master over death like what do you think you know um that's actually something that i thought about a lot it's uh it's it it's really and i <laughs> i i couldn't agree more is what i'm trying to say like you know he writes about death um in the context of uh capitalism obviously and and fascism you know when he writes about fascism and death being equated with uh like you just quoted the ideology of death he he's also saying that accepting death as an honorable thing say in the service of a, a nation or a higher power it's only going to fuel a fascist ideology and that's what i completely agree with because like we saw in uh, stanley kubrick's fear and desire it's an abstract entity that that these so called nationalists are um attached to you know it's it's absurd <laughs> forgive the pun it's absurd that a social fact has been conditioned uh into people as a natural fact and obviously i'm not trying to say that like one position is better than the other or you shouldn't be nationalist or any of that but um i'm trying to highlight this erasure of subjective experience um subjective experience and humanism that comes with the transition to fascism right now we're seeing and the, the entire world is seeing a, a a shift towards the right wing and even the mid 20th century that happened when uh, critical theorists were writing their original papers fascism was all the rage but like i mean even and you know what actually just just to um put it out there Heidegger himself was an Nazi. He he subscribed very greatly to a nationalist um right-wing ideology and uh there's also this bit in the paper about um you know Eric from the the psychologist he he, he argues the paper says that he argues that those humans who act based on the principle of long lived death that is um in the service of like a nation or a higher power they have a necrophilic character so essentially what he's trying to say and which what i agree with is that death for the sake of death or death for the sake of um honor or something is is extremely it's it's reductive and it's sort of regressive also right but do you think that like the like the the, the thought that death is what gives life meaning exclusive not actually independent of the socialist view because like so so fuchs says that the wholeness of a human being is thus determined by society and in a worldly manner 
not as Heidegger claims it by death. And I, I feel like, so, so there's, there's two possible ways that one could read the claim that death gives life meaning, right? Which is that death intrinsically is a, such a phenomenon that it automatically gives life reason. But I don't, I, I, that's not how I read that statement to be, right? I read it as death not being like an intrinsic, like, like a thing that gives life like intrinsic meaning, like automatically. Just like it doesn't existing. have value in itself, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Like it, yeah, it, like death doesn't come with the value of life, so to speak, right? Just the thought right. that death is something that's inevitable, that is coming, is what gives like life meaning. And yeah, and, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and with society and with like feelings of love and reciprocity and not having a life full of domination, um, and not being, um, you know, um, like submitting to a higher power or going through like class, um, a, a class society, society full of suffering. All of that, I still feel like kind of doesn't necessarily have to exclude the, the view that that's what gives gives life meaning, right? Or, or actually death giving life meaning. And or perhaps maybe a softer version of that would be death is not the only thing that gives life meaning. Like certainly aspects of not having to live a life full of suffering is, is, a, is a part of what like life, life would be. But it's still compatible to think that if like death is coming, and because it's coming and before it ends, I'd want to live a life without domination. I'd want to live a life with my people, with a community that is loving and caring and and doesn't have these hierarchies that exploit me. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, I think so too. You know, it's this fear of death that we have and the fear of things ending that makes us strive for a, for a fulfilling life, you know? And, and the way we view death in this sense, um, just to sort of add on to what I was originally trying to say is, is that death is inevitably gonna be a connection or a, or a maybe a marriage between social philosophy and metaphysics, for sure. And that's exactly what he's trying to say as well, that is Fuchs. Um, there are all these different philosophical approaches to the phenomenon of death and, and, and subsequently, or, or consequently, it gives meaning to life. Because how often do we hear the phrase death or dying is a part of life, uh, don't be sad about it or whatever, it's too often. And the statement itself calls into question how we as a community um, or as different communities look at death. Because death uh, is not a part of life. It signifies the end of life, it's outside life. Because that was one of the, the things that I found like pretty, interesting to think about because technically I think Fuchs is right that we can't experience death it sounds strange but I think yeah, it's, it's true like, uh, it's like falling asleep you know you don't know the exact moment that you fall asleep yeah. you just know that you're in the process and maybe you exactly. wake up a couple of times but you don't know when exactly it happens yeah like if, if death is literally the end of things then what we're experiencing isn't death, but we're experiencing either the causes of death or, like you said, the process of death, but not death itself. That Perfect. would exist yeah, beyond, yeah. like, us. That's that, I, f I found that distinction pretty, like, like metaphysically, like, intriguing. Um, yeah, it's so much to think about. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, so even, even then, technically, that, the thought that, like, one shouldn't be, like, afraid of death 
is pretty if if we're taking this to be like our ontology that we can't really be afraid yeah. of death but we we should be afraid of the causes of death or maybe the process of death but not of death itself because death in a sense would be liberation from whatever f- like the process of death is or, or the causes that of of death are wow yeah yeah exactly i mean like how can you fear something that nobody has ever perceived or experienced or any of that you know yeah or, or even so, can't yeah. be experienced technically yeah exactly cannot experience or perceive yeah 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 and there's that's, other that's uh, yeah. yeah and and you know just moving on to what it says after there's this great line that i think um i think i should highlight like life also includes social phenomena like work and communication which organize social relationships the good life presupposes spaces free of class and domination <laughs> i like how he says life also includes social phenomena like work and communication death doesn't that doesn't include any of that um and and the good life when defined um according to this paper and this is where he you know gets into uh nagel's philosophy thomas nagel uh it completely ignores social relations the good life you know it presupposes that that uh happiness can be achieved only through um to quote perception desire activity and thought and i, I don't really think that because i i guess perhaps at the end of the day um everything boils down to the individual doesn't it the, the individual's relationship with society the individual's relationship with themselves uh, and so on but i think the right question to ask would be what kind of relationships are favorable and which ones are not and for the benefit of who because i don't entirely mean this in a in a in the sense that fuchs is trying to get at like not entirely in a sociological or critical theory sense but i mean it as a question about ethics even well not just ethics but you know a, a question of being yeah. itself and ethical being like we need to figure out what kind of connections we need to draw between individual existence and collective existence because sometimes i feel like humans are painfully <laughs> lonely and trapped um yeah. within their own minds and other times i feel like we live extremely social uh, i'm going to say symbiotic lives yeah. you know kind of like pando and the thing is okay hold on you heard of pando no Pando I was saying the... yes to the thing before. Sorry. All right. Okay. Um, cool bit of trivia. Pando is the largest living organism on the earth. It's um, it's a forest of redwood somewhere in I think um, the northwestern USA. I'm not sure. Somewhere in America. It's a uh, it's a family of redwood trees that all share one single network of roots. So technically, they count as one organism. so it is the biggest organism on earth look it up it's really cool um anyway coming back <laughs> coming back to what i was saying uh it, the the social character of life itself i think we need to think about how we extend it and how we already have extended it in many cultures or in all cultures to death itself hmm. no i think i'm with you on that like i i personally don't necessarily agree with like this individualistic approach on on being that is often like taken as a starting point in like um western philosophy and ethics specifically um mm-hmm. and like most of this like understanding of how deeply connected we actually are came from like my un- like uh course on care ethics which takes like human connections and human dependence and human vulnerability to be the starting point of like 
a theory of ethics because that's who we are as humans exactly i don't think it would be a stretch to call the entire human race um one organism and i guess these different cultures and these different or not even cultures you know different individuals are just leaves or branches or whatever like like pando and it's it's impossible to live a completely isolated individualistic life yeah there's this one other yeah. thing about like um the view about or, or the living person's view uh person's view about death which i think um like fuchs highlights about um hedegor which is that like um like being afraid of death and and the moral uh value or the moral um um i don't know the the moral goodness or badness of <clears throat> sorry of, of of a certain view of death because i think like he says hedegor um to to hedegor a person who's uh, who's ready to face up to death and not be afraid of it is the brave one a morally good 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 view of death that's a morally good view of death but what do you think about that because i think like like fuchs is right in saying that like a person after the death of like a significant person a human being has access to different forms of coping all of which are directed towards their own survival so like what do you think about that view of like the living person's uh, view on death like the view that being able to face death without fear is the the morally right one yeah like do you do you think you agree i don't know i think that that thought is outside the realm of morality um because well good for someone if they're able to face death without uh without any fear of of dying or whatever but i think i okay i think i know what what it means as in i think what it's trying to get at is that everybody should be like that because it's claiming moral superiority so maybe it's also trying to be prescriptive in the sense that the the right thing to do or the 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 thing to aspire towards would be to not fear death right um and i don't i don't really know if i completely agree or completely disagree i think in in some senses it is good to not fear death because it, it can get really overwhelming right it can, it can take over your entire life you could just it would be extremely destructive to the way you live and you wouldn't want that you wouldn't want your current life to be um ruined with the thought of death but in other ways i think it's also bad because if you don't fear the process of things ending or the process of dying then what what could it be that that gives um life meaning you know maybe i'm thinking to narrow maybe there maybe you could derive meaning out of life even if you fear death but i don't know how easy that would be because i think it's this fear that that motivates us to live fulfillingly hmm but if if we do take like this this community sense of like death and community community sense of being rather uh, about us being so related then wouldn't it make sense to yeah then it would totally be the morally right thing to do yeah yeah it it it, it would like cuz then you you're not necessarily fearing death for your own sake but also for the sake of the ones around you um and i think this paper does subscribe to that 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 um 
you know, death should not be feared, at least uh, individually. What about like, like Nagel's view, do you think is unique or interesting or, or something about that that makes it so that it's more um, complementary to the socialist view? I don't know. I don't really... Uh, it's... In some ways, it complements it, I think, because it's... It presents life as meaningful and death as absurd, and, and then that paves the way for love and, and and a life lived with the community, fulfilling life lived with the community. But, but in other ways, um, it's not, because it... Uh, like I said, it ignores social relations at least the good life does um so i don't know if if it's the right interpretation of nagel because i haven't read any uh but the, the idea that the good life can be achieved purely through perception desire activity and thought is not something that i subscribe to okay but i think that's about it for like this segment on this section nagel. yeah yeah, yeah. I think that's about it for me, from me for part two as well, yeah. Part three, death and estrangement. Marx understands estrangement or alienation as the loss of control and the ability to make decisions about the structures of one's own life. Uh, yeah, so this really, you know, this, this I think, spoke to me because it's pretty much exactly <laughs> the stuff that I studied <laughs> in class. Um, alienation leads to, the way I see it, it leads to a phenomenon that I like to call uh, death in life, which is coincidentally the same term that Fuchs uses in the book. Yeah. Um, so obviously there are different kinds of alienation with different kinds of people. And, uh, you know, that would be different classes from a Marxist lens, but whatever they are, they involve uh, a very scary and dehumanizing feeling of, of losing your touch with, with the world and, and, and the world that you helped create pretty much. So feeling like a stranger in one's own life. So it's a terrifying thought, but, um, but I think we live it nearly, oh, haha, we live it every day, you know, in this capitalist world. It, it, it pretty much kills the self. It kills the human through um uh, surplus labor and and surplus value and yeah hmm right and you know it's it's um like i was thinking about like the ability to make choices and like alienation being like a sort of death in um like life because we're unable to like make decisions about like our own life because of these existing structures like domination and stuff um, and that's like, I was just thinking about how an existentialist would respond to that. It's, they just like, like feel terrible that anyone would say that because they're like champions of free, free choice and action. And there being no, like there, like you can still have restriction on, on, on you uh, and like physical restrictions, but even like choices you make there are like determine the life we lead. Like, so. I mean, it's yeah. it's inconsequential. To I mean, like it's it's the, the yeah, it's the choices that you make to make yourself happy within the restrictions. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, in that sense, it's like inconsequential, but it's still like <laughs> also also. I feel like I need to give 
um, Fuchs a little bit of credit for like labeling the segment, uh, this section, um, death as end estrangement, which is pretty, it's pretty great, isn't it? I love it. I love it. <laughs> Plus yeah. points for yeah. paper. <laughs> Um, yeah, just to clarify, estrangement, the way Fuchs describes it, is estrangement, but with no end. It's never-ending estrangement. Right. Um, so, okay, so I wanted to know what you thought specifically about, like, when he says that while estrangement, sorry, not estrangement, uh, yeah, sorry, while estrangement leads to the end of the experience of societal alienation, it does not lead to the end of alienation as a societal phenomena. Uh, when a human being has lived in conditions of alienation and so misunderstands in those circumstances, then he no longer has the opportunity to experience a better life and happiness and to fight for this together with other people. Um, estrangement is the mis- is a misfortune and no deliverance from alienation. What is left to the bereaved is the continuation of the struggle against alienation in the memory of the loved ones who have passed away. I read like a pretty big paragraph, but it's pretty much a good sort of like view on why why it's important to define death in terms of like in, like estrangement in like Marxist terms. But like, why do you think that, or do you think that, so, so if we leave like a person's alienation behind, and if we take the view that death is really literally the end of all things, wouldn't that be a great view of life though? Because if we're looking at alienation as like, losing the ability to make choices and living in those structures, it's still great for the person who's ended their life, but not so much for the people that they lived with because they'll continue to fight against that or, or continue, in fact, to struggle against that alienation. But so in that sense, don't you think that that notion of death being evil goes away or death being bad? No, maybe not because um, it's, I think... Uh, this particular argument, at least Fuchs's argument, sees death as an estrangement, and death is an evil because it um, it leave it 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 causes the end of someone's life, uh, not in positive terms. Like they died by being alienated. It wasn't a positive death, a positive community-oriented uh, socialist death. It was a death that happened in an alienating capitalist fascist society. So that's why it's not um, uh, okay. No, that's fair. But so, so imagine, so of course, I, I was going to like give, like share the example of a person who wasn't in fact like alienated or wasn't like exp- or struggling with alienation. We'd still say that that, that was kind of like, death was not as good for them too because they like live that peaceful death or or didn't struggle with that alienation because they exploited the people who were but uh, that's the thing that's the thing I, I i don't think in a capitalist society there is a single um person other than the one absolutely on the top who will not experience alienation alienation is a part of everybody uh, it's part of you it's a part of me it's a part of someone i don't know in in kashmir it doesn't matter so alienation is a given in a capitalist society ah, like in a society okay. that that um that is built on private property you know hmm right that's interesting okay yeah because it just manifests in different ways but it's still there 
there is no absence of it right i see okay that makes sense you know um but i was just thinking i, I mean okay i feel like this thought that i have i'll bring up later towards the end about viewing death not as an evil in general but when we say that okay so i was trying to think right if even in like a perfectly um well i guess what i'm going to ask you now connects to that question i wanted to ask later but in a perfectly marxist socialist society which actually functions as it's intended to where nobody is alienated nobody's experiencing alienation right where we live in this community sense in that sense would death still be evil because i still feel like because a part of me still wants to retain a positive view of death and not necessarily an evil negative view of death but what do you think the view of death would be in a perfectly idealist uh, like ideal marxist society uh i mean you know obviously considering the fact that i'm not a marxist scholar but from from what i think um you know socialist society would look like i think it's death wouldn't be any less evil you know it'll just it will be easier to deal with because um you're dealing with it not when you're alienated or individualistic or by yourself you're dealing it with a larger community that's there to support and love you so death would still be absurd and like folks and 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 nagel say life is meaningful and death is absurd and meaningless that's not going to change but the thing is it's it's that it it'll be a lot lot easier to deal with and much better for um the people who are grieving or mourning and 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 that that cohort as well hmm and see this like okay what i'm going to say next might just be too abstracted but and and like probably help like help me like come back on the right track of like thinking but here's a thought right if and the reason this is this is the reason i want to view death positively is that at some point there are certain things in life that just cannot bring pleasure to you anymore that death is in fact the next step that is a positive experience that that not doesn't necessarily have to be an end of pleasure an end of like receiving goods and receiving the good life so to speak that it is in fact a part of the good life where you've you've experienced what you wanted to experience you've um lived the life you wanted to live and now you want to move on to not living anymore and that's the view i have so and and even the reason i'm connecting this to like the the socialist view is in in a capitalist like view where people should just have everything that's good it wouldn't make sense. death would it 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 would clearly be evil because in a capitalist world a human being that is a true capitalist or not even a capitalist a needy individual person would want all things good but tell me in a socialist world wouldn't there be some restrictions on or if not restriction rather but this individual view of how much i want and being content with what i have and that contentment being translated into the contentment with death like what do you think of that yeah so that's exactly why i don't know if a socialist perfectly socialist society is even possible <laughs> purely because of human desire you know it's mm. not like we are content with the things that we have or the things that we absolutely need it's that we have the ability to want and want more and more and more um but then again i don't know if this this desire for things that just this like 
it's a it's unquenchable the need for things and that's a very consumerist ideology so it, i do in some ways think that capitalism fueled that ideology it fueled this desire like it, it's a retroactive need that we apply to ourselves it's it's not like we really need these things but we need them because we are told that we should need them so um if desire for things is a natural uh instinct then it would obviously mean that a socialist society would be extremely difficult to bring about but um obviously if that wasn't a natural need and if it's an artificially created capitalist need then a socialist society would never face that problem in the first place you know because people wouldn't be like that and in that sense that would still be an evil because why would you want to give up a life that is absolutely positive that that has everything that can give you everything that you need or want um so obviously you wouldn't want to give that up so that would be an evil secondly um if you are okay with you know sort of moving on to the next life or whatever uh isn't that also kind of a religious view of of the soul still moving on or if 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 you're saying that it's not necessary that the soul needs to move on for me to ha- be happy with death then how would you be happy with things ending entirely yeah i mean the 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 example or not the example what i had in mind was not necessarily moving on to the next phase of life rather not not like a part of you moving on to to like what's after death but like the the like absolute nothing kind of meaning of death where you're okay or rather you're content with everything ending like what about that and, and so so the reason Would i had that be possible though yeah so yeah I, yeah so that was the thought right so that I, i don't know if you know about this of course maybe you do but do you know the good place is it a show it's a tv show yeah okay yeah i've heard of it yeah yeah okay and also anyone who's listening who hasn't watched it big spoilers ahead like literally big spoilers if you haven't seen it want to see it like trust me it's really big but anyway at the end of the show right what they do is they go to heaven okay not at, not at the end of the, the show so to speak but they go to the real heaven or whatever that is and like they they go there but after living there for a while they realize that people aren't even people aren't happy in heaven with even with everything they want and have and so after living the life they've lived uh, for however long they decide to like leave and stop existing so in that sense i i'd, I'd recommend watching the show because that that concept is so cool but the thought that i had was from there right which is that even after having what you've had the sense of like living like the life that you've wanted to have like i'm 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 thinking specifically of older people like really old who in the end know that they're going to die but don't have regrets like i wish i had a little more money or i wish i was in a little better um like in a better hospital but have wishes like that have my family next to me and that's enough and that that that's the contentment they have like they're not thinking about these other things in the last moments of their life maybe it motivated them when they were living but when they've when they're actually dying they're not necessarily thinking about what they don't have but they're happy with what they have and they're happy with the prospect of looking forward to whatever it is that death is you know what i'm saying like 
I do that know what you're saying, but I still disagree because um, the examples that you gave me, such as uh, I wish I had more money, I, I you know, what, uh, wish I was in a better hospital, all that stuff, they're still very material desires. You know, like in a, I think in a socialist world, you wouldn't have, um, you wouldn't be bugged by those material desires. You, you, you'd be happy. I mean, obviously you would have those, but then you'd also be so content with the abstract uh, emotions, that, uh, not emotions, sorry, abstract uh, desires like um, loving the family or, or being content with having whatever you have right now that you wouldn't want to let go of them, perhaps. Hmm. Right, yeah, you know, that's the thing. Um, like, that's why I think I'm, I'm having struggle with this is because this, like, the notion of content, like, to be very honest, I have never experienced true contentment, right? I don't think a lot of people have. Yeah. And yep. like this thought that if we're this thought that if we're imagining a truly Marxist socialist world where everything is just as we like it and it's well, also it's also like, just saying, like th- there is no I just wanna make it, you know, put it out there to anybody who's listening that there is no true Marxist socialist world, the, the objective truth does not exist. This is Fuchs's view, okay? This is Fuchs's understanding of what it means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, even if we, like, apply all, like, the, the Marxist, like, principles, and if, like, going by your example, that we'd be content by everything we have, right, in a, in a perfectly ideal, like, socialist world. Yeah, yeah. Then I'm just trying to imagine, like, so you wouldn't have, like, active greed. Like, you wouldn't have active desires, True. All you'd have is contentment. And I don't know if contentment is the kind of like feeling that lo- like makes you wish that you had it for longer. It's, or it, or it's, it's rather the kind of feeling that you're happy you had enough. Or, or you're, you're happy either having it or losing it. Ah, you know? okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Like if you're completely content, then why would you want more of it? True, true. You're happy with Damn, how much that's you have. A, yeah, like, exactly. That's a... It's a very interesting thought. I don't know how to think of that. Yeah, damn. Which is why, yeah, I mean, that's the only reason I I could think of to make death a positive experience, and not not even positive, but just not evil. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Then maybe you know, death negates contentment. Like you won't be content if you die, and that's why you don't want to die, and that's why death is evil. But how would death negate contentment? Because death, like we discussed earlier is just that and it's just the the feeling of not like you wouldn't experience death and and so the process of even in the process of death you're not losing anything that would make you lose your contentment right right maybe you would be you'd suffer no you'd be in pain or whatever Okay. Uh, okay. Let's just stretch this example out to a Okay. Let's limit. say you're not suffering any, yeah, in yeah. any way. Like yeah. death is no suffering, no pain, none of that. Just in that fact, ideal old actually, age. Yeah, one. yeah. So this is yeah. This is actually something that I'd like to bring up in part five or six because they have some. It has some really good um, implications for you know technology and posthumanism and stuff. Anyway, um, yeah. So in an ideal uh, hypothetical world where death is completely painless, no suffering, none of that and you're completely content, then it wouldn't be evil um, for you. But what mm-hmm. about the people that you're with, you know, the that's, society that's that you're with? Wouldn't yeah. they feel 
um, bereaved, no, not bereaved, sorry, they wouldn't they feel bad or pain mm. and all of that? Yeah. In a socialist world, that's very important. Yeah, they wouldn't feel content. That's what's significant. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I think you're right. It was, it was yeah. In, yeah, in an attempt to, like, figure out not making death. <laughs> hmm. But, uh... Very cool, though, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I can see why death would be seen as evil. But what if, oh, my God. You know what? I think we should, like, maybe think about this. Or at least yeah. I should think about this more. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. I'm glad you, like, made me, like, look at the other, like, reminded me of that other side of, like, this relational self in, in mm. this context. See, they were, we're living in extremely repressed times. Like, we're living in a capitalist world. We're all thinking of ourselves. I mean, That's not true. just you or I, but the entire, everyone. Indeed. And about, like, death and, you know, um, death and estrangement and the section that we're on, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a very curious phenomenon um estrangement itself like why do families and communities even experience estrangement from each other you know of one of their members like uh and and about this there's this uh i think it's a quote um, by sartre that that fuchs mentions the very existence of death alienates us wholly in our own life to the advantage of the other uh and this just makes me think of ethics again and uh, what we consider good and bad because is it okay for people to be disrespectful of someone who was dead seeing as they wouldn't really feel experience anything um and i'm using the word respect very loosely because mm. uh you know it, it, <laughs> it would be a miracle if everybody agreed on what respect was but very broadly speaking i'd say that you know from what i've noticed death automatically makes people be more respectful even if they did not like the deceased person in life. Like, that's mm. so strange. Yeah. And that, that I feel like connects direct, like directly to this view, this, this like existing view of human beings and what a person is that we already have. That the reason we don't do it is because we, it's not necessarily for the concern of the dead person, but for the concern of those that the dead person cares, like th- that the people that cared about that dead person. And mm. that's 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 why even in death you wouldn't want to like do anything that would hurt not the sentiments of the dead person because they can't experience it, but of the people who are experiencing the pain of losing them. Yeah, but would it still be immoral to criticize or or attack the dead person if hypothetically no other sentient being liked <laughs> that person? Hmm. If you're going, yeah, uh, yeah. If you're going by that view, it would just be that as long as you're not even bringing harm to the people that cared about them, which would be no one. In, in the yeah. example you gave, yeah. then you're not bringing harm to anyone. You're just expe- like explaining the feelings that you had towards that person, or factually exactly. stating what yeah. you, yeah. Maybe. And that not only makes me think about ethics, but also about the the cultural significance of this phenomenon of death. Um, and like we've been doing this episode, but on a whole, on a different level, I think the increased respect for that person when they die, even if you didn't like them, comes from some sense of fair play, like deep down that we all seem to have in life, because in life, people wouldn't normally take insults or attacks passively. There is scope for resistance. Yeah. But um, in death, the person is alienated entirely so they can't talk back or respond in any way so the situation is lopsided 
like and like Satra says, entirely to the advantage of the other. So maybe we have an inherent compass of um, not having too much of an upper hand in a fight. I don't know. Maybe. No. Yeah. That's a that's a good thought to have, and like something that would be interesting to like examine more. And I think the only other thing that I wanted to talk about, and I think that the both of us find really interesting, is Marx and what Marx says about de- the death penalty and about um, the like the, the existence of the death penalty and what it means to even have something like that. But I think that that alone is such a dense um, sort of a concept or a phenomena that I think I'd, I'd want to like, and I'm sure you would too, like to spend perhaps like an entire episode or two about it. Yeah, and I think it calls for that kind of discussion because it's it's not something that's just brushed off lightly like at the end of one of these conversations. So yeah, I'd like to, I think we should um, go um, skip that for now and maybe do an entire episode on it later on some other time. But um, that's about all we had for part three and for this episode. So we will take up this conversation about um, Christian Fuchs's The Metaphysics of Communication uh, next time. And we'll go over parts four, five, and six and look at what he thinks of labor and and mourning and capitalism and, surprisingly, mortality and immortality, which is something that I did not expect. So keep your ears peeled uh, and we will see you next time. Yeah, thank you. We've, We've taken so much of your time already, but thank you so much for sticking around. Uh, we hope we'll but admit see you. it, you had fun. Admit it. Hey. You know. <laughs> Wait, me or the person listening? Because hey, everyone, right. socialism. Okay. So <laughs> that's a good one. I like that. I I agree. We all had fun. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for sticking around. Uh, we hope we'll see you next time around. Goodbye. <laughs>